Hello, and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of a series we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host and a journalist at Plastics News. We went to the talks because this treaty could have a big impact on how we manufacture plastics, how we use it, and how we deal with its pollution. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will try to reach an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Ed Shepard. He's with Unilever and the Business Coalition for a Global Plastics Treaty. Ed talks about why the coalition wants us to move away from virgin fossil fuel-based plastics and what kind of legally binding measures they'd like to see in the treaty. We're here with Ed Shepard, a senior global sustainability manager with consumer goods maker Unilever. Uh, today, Ed is also speaking on behalf of the global, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Business Coalition for a Global Plastics Treaty, a group of about 100 consumer brands, retailers, financial institutions, and plastic converters. Um, they've been very involved with the plastic treaty talks, uh, recommending a legally binding treaty with policy instruments like reduction in the use of virgin resin, eliminating problematic plastic applications and additives, and setting global standards around recycling, including design for recyclability. Uh, Ed, thanks for being on the podcast. It's great to be here, Steve. Uh, let's start by talking a little bit about, can you tell us a little bit about the coalition, why it formed last year to work on a plastics treaty? Um, obviously, most of the members are not in the plastics treaty, so why does it matter to them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the plastics treaty is really a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create the systems changes we need to end plastic pollution and support sustainable business growth. And that's why the Business Coalition is here in Paris. You know, we're, we're saying that you know, leading businesses want a legally binding treaty with global rules and measures to tra tackle the, the real scale uh, that, we're, that we're dealing with here. Um, you know, as a coalition, we, we formed last year and we have many companies that are um, significant users of plastic. For example, Unilever, you know, we use around 700,000 tons of plastic every year within our packaging. And we also have companies throughout the plastics value chain. And I think the reason we formed is that many of these companies have been working on a voluntary basis on uh, initiatives to try and tackle plastic pollution. For example, uh, Unilever was a founding signatory of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation UNEP Global Commitment. Um, and and we, you know, we, we've been working hard on, on these voluntary initiatives. What we've found a few years in is that we've made good progress and they've really laid the pathway for change. But it is, it is very clear now that voluntary initiatives alone will not solve this problem. We must have policies, you know, global rules, for example, that help us level the playing field and really scale the voluntary action that's happening by industry into mandatory rules for, for everyone, for all of industry. And just, well just and one quick example is we, we've got about 20% of global plastic packaging volumes covered in the global commitment now. And that leaves a further 80% where, where there hasn't been enough action yet. And so you know, we really think that the 20% can inspire the policies and rules to create that level playing field. Um, are you also concerned that, that you'd be at a competitive disadvantage with the other 80% if you move in certain directions and they're they don't have to? Is that an issue or? I think what we found is we, we've created some solutions and we've worked very closely with our peers in a pre-competitive way on many of these solutions. Yeah. And you know, these are good practical ideas 
that actually you know, all companies of all sizes can now be using where we've agreed to move away from certain materials or certain applications that we know are particularly harmful for the environment in terms of the, the material a bit likely to leak into the environment. What, what kind of specific priorities do you have in the plastics treaty? Or what, do, what does the treaty need to be successful? So to be successful, we need a treaty with, with legally binding global rules and measures that address plastic production and use, focusing on virgin fossil-based uh, resources. We also need to eliminate plastic items that have a high likelihood to leak or, leak or are especially harmful to the environment. And then we need to have global rules to ensure the plastic that, that is needed. You know, we do think it's a useful material. We just need to make sure it's not in the environment. So the plastic that you know, can't be eliminated or reduced, that it's actually circulated safely uh, within a circular economy concept. Okay, that's a full agenda. <laughs> Why don't we, uh, let's take the, the first one at the top. I know the coalition's been very vocal about wanting to move <coughs> away from using virgin plastic, particularly, particularly fossil-based virgin plastic. Why is that? I think we're very much guided by the science. It, it's abundantly clear that with the projections that are coming in terms of plastic production, that you know, we will never be able to meet the objectives of this treaty, this global instrument, unless there are some measures to address the production side and the use side of plastic, particularly fossil-based virgin plastic. You know, cur our current waste management systems we have today you know, are unable to cope with the amount of plastic being put on the market and the amount of plastic waste we have. It's very clear to see, and that's why there's so much action to try and address plastic pollution. So given the expected increases in production of plastic, you know, many studies saying it's going to double in the next, you know, 20 years, it, it's, it's very unrealistic to say that the current waste management systems we have, which are, are already unable to cope, will catch up with this rapid increase that we're, that we're gonna see in terms of plastic production. So it, it's a really clear message we're bringing here to, to governments that actually leading businesses think that, that measures to address the production and use of plastic are gonna be critical to addressing uh, plastic pollution in general. And, and for us as a business, you know, we've committed to move away from virgin plastic as have all the companies within the global commitment, so about 20% of global plastic packaging volumes. For Unilever, we've reduced our use of virgin plastic by 13% since 2019. But the economics are, are really imbalanced here. You know, it really harm, it really makes it difficult for companies to um, move towards reuse and refill models, to incorporate recycled content, and, and even to create a business case to collect and process plastic because of the imbalance in the economics between virgin plastic and, and these other formats and materials. There, there have been some, some pre-negotiation events here in Paris. Uh, there was one on the Friday before. Um, and uh, the a government minister from the UK, for example, uh, made a comment along the lines of what you're saying. She uh, talked about uh, how the UK has put in place a tax on plastic packaging that has less than 30% recycled content, I believe. So um, are those the kinds of measures, are recycled content mandates, the kind of measures that the, the treaty will be leading to just from a plastic recycling point of view? Yeah, we think th these are obviously interconnected. You know, n not only do we need to ensure that there are some measures to, for example, reduce the demand for virgin plastic, but we also need to have measures that are gonna encourage the material to circulate. So we're very supportive of, of binding targets around, for example, recycled content. 
you know, clearly that's a measure that can support the, uh, the you know, waste management infrastructure to have more of a business case. But it, but it needs to be a holistic package. Like we cannot simply rely on uh, seeking to improve and expand our waste management infrastructure. And we can't simply just have targets on waste management. Because as I said, you know, currently that, that isn't even working as, as it stands. And with the increases we're seeing in production, um, you know, we need to have this enabling environment that's going to support sustainable business to prosper, whether it's uh, with recycled content instead of virgin content, whether it's moving to models where we're concentrating our products so that actually you can deliver the same uh, shampoo or the same wash to a consumer, but with actually less plastic, less packaging. Um, all the kind of reuse and refill models, which we know are going to be really critical to meeting the, the objectives of this kind of an instrument. Um, sometimes when, when people look at, you know, you're comparing which materials are greener or how you make materials greener, um, people have compared plastic to other materials. And, you know, there's a famous, there's an often quoted McKinsey study uh, from a few years ago that looked at, I think it was 14 applications from consumer goods to automotive to building materials. And it said in 13 of those applications, um, plastic was had the lower greenhouse gas emissions than the alternatives. Um, some people will look at that and say, well, plastics is always a green material. Is that a fair statement or how should we look at it? I think it's important to reflect that we're facing a, you know, a triple planetary emergency here. And you know, both trying to tackle the climate crisis and the plastic pollution crisis, we need to make sure we're not um, working against one trying to solve another. I think from our point of view, you know, it, it's really clear that we need to use less plastic. You know, that's how we, that's one of the main ways that we are going to address the plastic pollution crisis. And in many ways, if we don't do that part, the, the, you know, we haven't got a lot of chance really. Um, for us, in terms of the climate impact, you know, plastic is a useful material. You know, it, it can have benefits. The, you know, for us, it's about making sure that we're using less of it. The plastic we're using is better plastic, so it's recyclable and it's made of recycled content. And in some places, we're using no plastic at all, where alternatives, where there isn't an environmental impact. Um, for example, many of our ice cream brands are moving towards more paper-based packaging. And um, you know, that's also an, an opportunity. And you know, our modeling shows that our uh, using recycled content, recycled plastic, has about a 50% lower GHG impact than using fossil-based virgin plastic. When you talk about moving away from plastics, um, are you? You're, I assume you're not talking about moving into the same amount of material or packaging in a different material. Are you talking about sort of rethinking how packaging goes? Yeah, I think there's this whole range of approaches, you know, including format shifts. You know, I just talked about concentration right. before. Right. You know, it, many of our brands are moving to more concentrated products, which allows you to not only deliver the same impact for the consumer but also to, um, to you know, address the, the issues that we're trying to face here. And I think that you know, using concentrated products is a way of doing the same thing, but with less. You know. Yeah, we're uh, sitting here on day four of what's supposed to be a five-day treaty negotiation session, and it's, it's busy and chaotic. Um, what kind, you're looking for the treaty to provide sort of a global framework on these policy issues that countries agree to? Is that how the treaty comes down and impacts us in our day-to-day -day life? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, we think there are really practical, smart things already happening within quite large groups of industry that could become global rules within the treaty, which would ideally, you know, mandate countries to phase materials out, set production targets, set recyclability targets, all these things. So this is this isn't going to happen overnight, and it's really important that the work on voluntary initiatives doesn't pause whilst we're waiting for countries to go through their political process. But this is a really big opportunity, you know, a really once in a lifetime opportunity to tackle this. If we're still in this same situation in 10, 15 years, it, it would likely be down to the failure of this kind of a process. If we haven't got a treaty which is going to address this issue, not only at source, but throughout the value chain, it's our best opportunity to try and tackle this issue. The coalition's recommendations um, to the countries meeting this week mentioned problematic plastics in several places. It talked about phasing down problematic plastic applications, um, phasing down problematic additives. What makes a particular plastic or material problematic? I, th I think consumer goods companies, you know, including Unilever, have, have been on a journey to try and transition our business away from some of these impacts that you know, we're seeing. And I think one example of that is the recyclability of, of uh, packaging for consumer products. You know, there are some instances where materials used within packaging are, are particularly problematic. You know, PVC within consumer packaging, as an example, um, you know, makes it very difficult to recycle. So that's, you know, one example of how industry has voluntarily agreed to do something. So within the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Global Commitment, you know, that is a, uh, a, an agreement to try and phase these materials out. We've also, another example is the Consumer Goods Forum have created a set of golden design rules. For example, only using uh, clear or light green or light blue PET, which we know makes it easier to recycle. It means that for companies that want to buy that material, we can get that back. You know, another example is, is labels within HDP bottles. Unilever uses quite a lot of HDP. It's quite hard for us to find the good quality and um, the good quality recycled HDP that we're looking for, that consumers are asking us for. And so that's one of the design guide, golden design rules with, with the CGF, with the Consumer Goods Forum, is to phase out unrecyclable labels and sleeves on HDP bottles, which make them particularly problematic. So those are the kind of things we would say are problematic. But it, in this first round of the treaty, you know, th they've got this really short timeline, just two years to try and agree this text. Yeah. and you know, what we're really saying is we need to begin with what's already happening at, at significant scale. We need to take the voluntary initiatives that huge groups of industry from across the value chain are all aligned on and, and create global rules based on those. And that's, that's really what we're here to ask for. Okay, you talked a minute ago about supply issues. Um, have, you know, Unilever has a hard time, I think you said, finding supply of certain HDPE recycled materials. How does this treaty address supply issues? Recyclers constantly talk about a lack of supply out there. And maybe that gets back to the economics, the unbalanced economics you talked about. But how, how would this treaty address that? Yeah, so I think if we can agree mandatory design requirements to say that actually any product being put on the market by a consumer goods company anywhere in the world should be able to be recycled, what we would say is in practice and at scale. We know that's not the case currently. You know, we're still working through many of these transitions, even within companies within the global commitment. But uh, it'd be very hard to disagree with that, I would say. And how are we going to get there unless we make this a, a global rule? 
you know, unless we make it mandatory, it's gonna create the level playing field. It's gonna mean that businesses of all sizes can actually benefit. It's not just large companies that are able to make the transition because the technological advances have already happened on many of these, you know, for example, the recyclable labels thing I discussed. Okay. So that's gonna benefit companies of all sizes and will actually mean that all of those companies that wanna serve the growing consumer demand to, for recycled content within packaging will be able to because there will be a lot more feedstocks going into the recycling systems. Okay, well, I think uh, for my last question, um, I'm gonna cheat a little bit and make it a two-part question. But okay, let's go. <laughs> First off, um, on an issue of contention in the negotiations, um, you know, obviously the negotiations this week have gotten off to a rocky start. Um, you know, there were some procedural fights on the floor that cost the delegates at least a day of negotiating. Um, some of the NGOs here have said that floor fight was actually kind of a proxy for this issue of virgin resin production caps, uh, which uh, is a significant issue at least for the plastics industry in these talks in, in opposing that. Um, you know, some prominent government groups, the High Ambition Coalition, have called for, they use words like restraint on production of primary plastics. Um, do you think that caps will be a big part of the treaty? And so that's the contentious part of it. I want to also sure. ask you, um, are there areas where you see agreement or consensus building uh, within these talks where, where we could see some real agreement come down? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we would say that it, it's going to be critical that an element of the treaty seeks to address this upstream issue. We know we cannot recycle our way out of this problem. We know we need to have measures that reduce plastic production and use, particularly fossil-based virgin, and particularly for applications and uses that are more likely to leak into the environment. And so as a, as a business coalition, you know, we're calling for global rules to reduce plastic production and use, focusing on those, those ones I mentioned. And, you know, I would say we almost lost two days here. I think it was it was 9 p.m. last night. We were we almost had a sweepstake on you know when would we really begin <laughs> going through the options paper, and it was about 9 p.m. on Wednesday as opposed to 10 a.m. Tuesday. So and two full days were lost. You know, there's lots of reasons for that, and you know, I'm I'm not here to go into the details, but you know, we really are, are hopeful that a, a zero draft will be uh, a mandate for a zero draft will be agreed. That's what we've asked governments to do. You know, going into INC3 in Kenya later this year, it's going to be really important that there is legal text okay. so countries can actually begin setting out their positions in a true negotiation. And we don't really have time to waste on this. You know, there's a really um, ambitious timeline. And I think that that's where the hope is from our coalition's point of view. You know, we want to come here and illustrate that business supports and wants to offer confidence to these governments in this really difficult thing they've got to do. We've got lots of practical examples, the practical solutions we've worked through, and that's why we formed this business coalition. We've got all of these companies that are working pre-competitively to try and tackle this issue and support sustainable business growth. And, and that's really the opportunity we have for the treaty. Just on your, your second part on, on the positives, yeah. I think that is one positive in, in itself, you know, that the businesses here calling for these rules, you know, that we want to offer that courage to the governments. But in, in the session I was in there, just, just recently in the plenary, the discussion around microplastics, I think, was, was hugely encouraging. I think it's the first time we've seen very little disagreement from any government taking the floor on, on what we should do here. You know, as a business coalition, we think we need to be phasing out um, intentionally and unintentionally added microplastics, and we need global rules to do that. We need to make sure there's a level playing field so it's not a voluntary measure. 
So I think that was really encouraging to see. And you know, we're really hopeful this is going to be a process that, that we as a business coalition can engage with further in the next few years. Okay, well thanks for giving us that example from inside the negotiating rooms and uh, thanks for joining us, Ed. It's good to be here, Steve. Thanks. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.